What a phenomenal summer, right? And then this morning it was probably unexpected. <laughs> the temperature it feels a lot chillier, but I think it's because of the wind. But uh, praise God for in all times. In all times we will praise God. And um, I've been preparing this word for some time, and I believe it's, it will speak to a lot of the hearts. Um, yeah. First and foremost, usually when I prepare a sermon or when God is working something in my heart, it's something that applies to me first, something that I relive through. So uh, we're going to jump right into the word, and it's uh, quite a bit of scripture in the beginning. We do not have a display today, but it's fine. Um, I think we'll be able to be just fine without it. Um, so it's a lot of a good chunk to read, but I'm going to focus in on one passage. Um, so it's Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles ready with you, uh, you can open them. If you have your iPhone, your Android uh, Pull them out if you have a Bible app, and let's read together. Mark chapter 5, uh, starting with verse 21. <clears throat> when Jesus had again crossed over uh, by boat to the other side in the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt, she felt in her body that she was freed from uh, her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what, he ha- uh, what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, and brother of James. Verse 38, when they came to the the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, while the commotion and wailing, the child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, and told her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At uh, this, they were very, uh, they, were, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone about this and told them to go give her some Chick-fil-A. 
<laughs> he was like, don't just stand there. Go get, get her something to eat. And, you know, the girl was, I mean, she, she was dead. All right, so um, I almost titled the sermon, you know, Get Up. And I was considering the titles and stuff like that. And I realized in the end um, that was a premature, uh, premature title. And so um, because the climax of the story is to get out. And you'll understand that as we go on. So I want to hone on verse 40 and 41 to talk about the connection, you know, uh, between them, the two people, and the desperation that happened. Well, so he's saying, why are the commu- uh, commotion and wailing? The child was not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Who laughed at Jesus? You know, those negative, doubting, unbelieving, yeah. faithless people. Those people, you know, that light up the room when they leave. Those people that for every solution, they'll have a problem. And after he says, all y'all get out, then we can do something. And that's when the healing happens. So the Greek suggests, uh, when I looked into that Jesus physically put those folks out. And um, I don't want to mess up your theology and your Christology, but, um, you know, we think of Jesus, you know, a sweet, loving, kind Jesus. You know, we sing a song, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And he is. God is a great father. But this passage makes me believe that he is so, so rad. <laughs> He's so, he just goes and is like, out, get out. Because all those, you know, negative, doubting uh, people and those faithless people, they take away so much out of our lives. And so before, before she got up, certain things needed to get out. And... Um, and I was thinking about this. So but what if the power of miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but rather in the environment and the atmosphere that surrounds your miracle? You've been telling, you know, some things to get up, you know, but perhaps it's the season in your life to let certain things in your life to tell to get out. Start checking your surroundings, your environment, and tell some things to get out. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. We thank you for your word. And we're not here to entertain, Lord God. We're here to read your word, Lord God. And we believe in the power of your word and what you are speaking to us today, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, let's say it together. Get out. Yeah. All right, get out. All right, so the divine intersection, you know, in this passage that we just read um, brought me to the moment in my life last year. Um, Last year, I ran across this guy uh, that I knew that I've met only once, hung out with him once, and his name is Sergei. And for certain people that maybe don't know, I'm Russian. But um, Sergei is like the typical Russian name, I guess, used in American movies, and they're always portrayed as mafia leaders for some reason. Um, he's not like that, but he likes to just run his mouth, you know. He's just one of those guys who's just like, yeah, how much money do you make? You know, I make this amount of money, you know, and how about you? <laughs> And all in all, you know, I'm like, but we somehow ended up getting a lunch together um, back in the day. But anyways, when I met him last year, so we had lunch like five years ago. So I want to make sure I'm not hurrying things too fast. But when I seen him last year, I was like, hey, um, how you doing? And he's like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, what's happening with you? And he's married. And he's like, what's going on with you? I'm like, yeah, I'm married. I have, you know, two beautiful children. He's like, oh, oh, at that moment, I still had Alita. I'm like, I have a beautiful daughter. I'm like, here, in fact, and she's, you know, my daughter's on my display. And so I show him, like, here you go. And he's like, wow, what a beautiful girl. 
And then I turned around to him and I said, you know what? If it wasn't for you, I may have not had my daughter Alita. And he looked at me like, whoa, are you crazy? <laughs> what are you talking about? And so, you know, the interesting thing is we had, remember uh, years back, we had one lunch together. We hung out. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we hung out with my brother. And, um, and then you were talking about some girl you were bragging that you were texting. And then next thing you know, my brother was interested in her. And then you ended up somehow giving that number to him. Well, he ended up, he ended up you know, connecting with that gal. And not only that, ended up marrying her later. And then through her, she had a friend. And her name was Larissa. And so when she was here, I'm like, I ended up marrying her. And then we ended up married. And what married people do is they have kids sometimes. And so I'm like, and he's like, oh, bro, that's deep. Didn't think, I'm like, yeah, man. And, you know, and then he lit up. It, it was like it felt like he was part of something huge, and it was. But the thing is, and what I'm focusing is the, con- the connection. You would never think that certain people in your life that you know right now, it could have been through somebody that you spoke once, but then they ended up becoming your best friend. You're like, how did that happen? So anyway, so the divine intersection, you know, stuff happens in our life like that, and we meet certain people. Um, but I never would have thought, I'm like, how's Alita tied in with Sergey? you know? Um, but the, their connection is not easily seen on the surface. But once you begin to peel back, you know, the layers and dig down deeper and like, you know, and then you start to realize that it becomes clear that none of us get to live our lives in autonomy of just me, myself, and I. You know, we are all connected, you know. Um, it's because stories merge. You hear, you know, interesting stories how somebody met someone and it's through it's the most randomest person. But testimonies intersect. Miracles intersect. And, you know, you meet one person and then next thing you're like, wow, what an amazing person. But then through them, you ended up meeting 10 other people. So uh, you get the point. But whether we like it or not, we are deeply in, inter- uh, connected. And interesting thing is, doesn't it frustrate you that the people that you care about, perhaps your relatives, your loved ones, that you care a lot about, you know, they say, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. You know, you do you, I do me. Just don't worry about me. Don't worry about my business. Well, you doing you is impacting me. And a lot of times, somebody that you care and love for, it is impacting you. So regardless what, we are all connected. Amen? So, all right. So, you're diving deeper into the connection between these folks. You know, and I don't find it strange that uh, Mark actually, in the, when you read through the scripture, Mark focuses a lot on the miracles and the amazing things that happen. But um, I don't find it uh, strange that the Mark uh, put this chapter in here and he put, you know, the leader named, synagogue leader named Jairus. Um, you know, he's talking about Jairus. Now all of a sudden the story is suddenly interrupted by this woman with the issue of blood. Uh, and the reason that Mark strategically switched or uh, strategically sandwiched these two stories together uh, because of their connection. In fact, you know, to talk about Jairus, the synagogue leader, and to not talk about this woman uh, is, will do an injustice to the story or the integrity of this text. Uh, not on the surface, though. Not on the surface. If you actually look on the surface, they couldn't be completely more opposite. So, Biology 101, Jairus is a man, she is a woman. Hello. Jairus is named in the text. Bible doesn't even mention this gal's name. Jairus is honored and respected. 
this woman has been shamed and rejected. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. This woman can't even come near the synagogue because of her sickness. Uh, the culture would suggest that Jairus had the money in the bank, and this gal, you know, who's broke, broke doesn't have anything. Uh, in the modern text, you know, you know, to break it down for us, you know, simply, you know, Jairus is riding a Benz and she's riding a school bus. So they had nothing in common on the outside, but yet life has put them in the exact same place in the same posture because they both have been, you know, hit with something they can't handle. Um, how many of you know that life can do that to you? Yeah, life has a wave of evening the playing field. And I've seen that many times in my life. So life will hit you with something, you know, that your money can't fix. Your, you know, your bank account can't fix. Your degrees can't fix. And you can have more degrees than a thermometer. So many things that you can have and achieve. And you're like, whoa, I've achieved this and that. But then when something hits you like that, when it comes to life and death, you can really, really change your perspective on life. So... And these are the difficult times, you know. This is the time where you can say, where are you, God? And you can start questioning. But might I suggest that when you get to that point in your life, that this is the time for Jesus. When you are at a breaking point, you know, when you're in a breaking stage, when there's nothing left that you rely on yourself anymore. And you're just like, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. And that's, that's what's happening right here. So look at this. Two people from different socioeconomic background, different spheres and stuff like that. And here they are at one place. And the thing is, though, I observed that neither of them had a pretty pathway to Jesus. You know, they all both had to push things out of the way. I know that some of you want, you know, some of us want things convenient. And I honestly, before I, I would be praying, and I'm like, you know, expecting an answer like Amazon Prime, you know, within 24 hours. Lord, I need you to deliver. I need you to come through for me. But it doesn't work that way, you know. So let's look at Jairus. So he was a pastor, pretty much modern day, if you want to translate it to modern day. He was a synagogue leader. You know, he was a pastor. He, you know, he wasn't supposed to push people. You know, who? <laughs> what kind of pastor would it be? You know, I can totally see now in this picture, in this image. So Jairus is trying to, he's like, his daughter is dying, right? So he's like walking through the crowd. And text suggests that, you know, it was a lot of people. There's people pushing and stuff like that. And here he is walking, excuse me, excuse me. And somebody's like, Jairus, great sermon last Sunday. Uh, great, good. I got to go. And he's just running. He's like, he's going to Jesus. And, uh, but this woman, you know, keep in mind, she's ceremonially unclean. So she can't get close to the temple. And here this woman is desperate. I mean, during that evening, during that day, whatever the time of day it was, she was pushing everybody out the way. She touched probably countless people. It doesn't matter. Desperation. There's something about desperation. You know, uh, you're thinking, why? why are they pushing? Because desperate people do desperate things. We heard that phrase, right? Desperate times call for desperate measures. When you're desperate for God to do something in your life, you approach him differently. And I noticed that myself in my own life. You will show up to church differently. You will show up to a pre, pre-prayer service. <laughs> and when you're desperate, you don't need anyone to tell you to lift up your hands, to sing loud, to sing praises to his name. You just know when there's something that you want God to do for you in your life, you will do anything. And so these people are, both of them are desperate 
Desperation will cause you to hone in on your focus and what is important in your life. There is something about desperation and brokenness before God that causes heaven to open up. Um, I preached last sermon um, when Jonah got swallowed, you know, by a fish, whale. And then it's so interesting in that passage when he was there for three, three days in the belly of the whale. But when he got desperate, he was complaining first. But then when he's like, Lord, I will worship you. I will praise you regardless how dark and nasty and I have weeds, you know, around my neck. He, the moment he started praising, it says the next verse, the whale spit him out onto the dry land, you know. So that's just incredible. When we, in the middle of our difficulties, when things are just confusing, when we start praising God in the middle of our pain, miracles happen. Amen? And I love this. Desperation is a door that a breakthrough walks through. Let me say that again. Desperation is a door that a breakthrough walks through. Sometimes we haven't received our breakthrough simply because we haven't gotten downright desperate for something for God to do in our lives. And I love uh, Reinhard Bonnke. Some of you know he's a huge evangelist. Uh, he, He doesn't do any tours anymore, but he had the biggest, you know, crowds of people, um, ministered mainly in Africa. And uh, somebody asked him one time, it's like, where's your favorite place to preach? And uh, he said, you know, I always had struggle, uh, had difficulty answering that question because I wanted to articulate to the person that the effectiveness in the preaching and the ministry had little to do with address or destination of the place but everything to do with the attitude and the disposition of the people in that place. So he goes on saying, I would uh, rather be stuck in the basement with three desperate people for God than a crowd at a beach with people who think they got everything together. He's like, give me desperate people and signs and wonders will follow. But so this is the, the, the rolling tides of desperation that brought Jairus and this woman together. So Jairus gets, with, uh, gets to Jesus first. Let's not forget that. So Jairus is desperate. His baby girl is dying. And the more I read into that text, the more I started putting myself in it. I'm like, oh my goodness. Can you imagine if something happened with my daughter or my son? So here he is. He's like, Jesus, you need to hurry up with the tone of a 9-on-1 caller, you know? When he saw Jesus, says he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So this woman is just as desperate, but her situation is different. You know, she, it's chronic. She already dealt with that for some time. Think about it. So we start comparing those two situations, right? So now watch how Mark wants us to know that these people are connected. Because it just so happens, Jairus' little girl that is dying is 12 years old. This woman with the issue of blood has been dealing with the issue of blood for 12 years. So imagine, you know, 12 years ago, a family that's walking out of a a birthing center, you know, and they're happy and rejoicing. And possibly at the same hospital, this woman is walking out broken, heartbroken with getting that condition, you know, displayed to her and tell her, you know, you have this disease. Two different playing fields. But 12 years ago, but, and I was thinking, I'm like, wow, this is so interesting, numbers of 12. Um, but near, now both of them, the two 12s meet, right? The daughter who was 12 years old, or the synagogue leader had a daughter that's 12 years old. And, um, but you don't need to be a biblical philosopher, you know, um, 
or study numerology to understand that the number 12 in the Scripture, it means a lot. God has placed these interesting blues clues in the middle of Scripture. And uh, 12 is a big deal. So uh, when God has began His covenant with His people, uh, Jacob had 12 sons. So God's covenant um, started there. And those 12 sons became 12 tribes of Israel. So I want to give a little bit of history. In Old Testament, when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, he would wear a breastplate with 12 precious uh, stones representing 12 tribes. Okay, so fast forward to the New Testament. Uh, our new high priest, who's uh, Jesus, uh, when he first preached, he preached at the age of 12. And they marveled at his wisdom and his authority. And... Um, then, you know, when Jesus turned 30, and that's when he got to pick his crew, uh, his disciples, you know, the fellows that he could rely on. And, you know, I would have stopped at 11, but Jesus is like, nope, uh, Judas, come along. I need a hater too. And so <laughs> Jesus takes 12 disciples representing God's power and God's authority. So something about that. And I want to focus in right now on awareness of God's authority and why it's so important. Jesus says, I have the power and authority to handle whatever it is that you're facing in your life. So focusing on your situation that you may be facing right now. And God's authority, why is it so important? And um, I came up to this conclusion in my own life that my awareness of God's authority will determine how much I will receive from Him. Now hear me out. Often we, we reduce this text simply to faith. Somebody like doesn't get the healing, you're just like, you, you don't have enough faith. You just don't have enough faith. And uh, when people tell you, you know, you just need a little bit more faith, a little bit more faith. But don't get me wrong. Faith is important. Faith is critical. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. So faith is our anchor. So imagine this. But how many of you know faith, you don't just take an anchor and you throw it in the water. you got to tie it to something. And so you're going to lose that anchor if you do. But you better connect it to something. And this is where the connection comes. My faith is connected directly to the awareness of his authority. The authority of his word, the authority of his power, and the authority of... So that's what your faith is connected to. So watch this. If you don't believe that God is the ultimate authority, then your faith is going to struggle. Some of you think you, know, you have a faith problem, but... It's not the faith problem you're facing. It's the awareness of his, of his authority problem. Um, because if you don't know that he's the ultimate authority, your faith will struggle. I noticed that myself in my own life um, because two of them are connected. And we're talking about connection right now. So when someone is struggling with their faith, often it's because of that. It's, yeah, I have faith. But when you dive deep into the awareness of his authority, you'll start to realize. And I'm going to bring an example. Because um, remember Mark 44, uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 35. Remember when the disciples were on the boat, right? And the wind and the waves come up. And it's crazy. And Jesus is on the boat, in the back of the boat, sleeping. Just have, passed out. And Jesus, uh, and the disciples run to Jesus like, Jesus, don't you care? We're dying. We're about to drown. And I love Jesus. This, this is incredible. He, you know, gets up. I, just, I can't imagine. He just woke up, yawn maybe, you know, with his sovereign swag <laughs> and just says, peace. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, calm, and collected. This is incredible. You know, in the hurricane, think about it. It's, this is a hurricane ha happening. And uh, 
But yeah, he tells them, and they were just marveled at his authority. They're like, how's the winds and the waves obey him? So, and Jesus says to them, you have little faith. Your faith is little because you don't know who I am. Because if you knew who I really was, you should have looked at me, you know, when I was sound asleep and be like, who is this man sleeping in the hurricane? They know that he's the son of God, right? Who is this man sleeping in the, uh, during the hurricane? If that storm ain't bothering him, it ain't going to bother me. Scoot over, Jesus. I'm going to lay down with you. You know what I mean? I, guess that's, I can imagine the logic behind that Jesus was trying to explain to them at that point. But if you're not stressed out, then I know, Lord, I'm not, I should not be stressing out. Because in the end, I know, Lord, you know the result. You know that I'm going to win. So God is not stressing out over the things that we're stressing about. How many of you know that? I'm starting to know that with more and more in my life. But he's got the power and authority to do anything that comes against you. Amen? Amen. When, I, when I know that he has the ultimate authority, my faith can go to another level. And uh, let me stay here a little bit. So Jairus, you know, got a house call, you know, because that was his awareness of his authority. He's like, Jesus, you know, I'm a pastor. I already got the worship music going. Please just come and lay your hands on my daughter so she would be healed. This woman had a next level awareness of his authority. She's like, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. I ain't got time for that. If I just touch the hem of your garment, I will be healed. Talking about awareness of his authority, right? Now check this out. So how many of you remember a centurion from Scripture? Um, if you don't know it, it's in Luke chapter 7. But this is incredible. So he had a next level awareness of his authority because he says, Lord, I'm a man of authority and under authority. And I know the meaning of authority. And my servant is dying. So this centurion, you know, a military leader, had a lot of people under him. He understood authority. And that's why that centurion talked about that authority. He says, but I'm not worthy of you to come to my house. Here it is. He says, just speak the word. And my servant will be healed. This guy, Lord, no way. Just, just your word itself. Just send the word and I will be healed. That was his awareness of authority. And check this out. Um, somebody got healed for the first time in the Bible without Jesus actually being in the proximity of that person. And what did Jesus said to the centurion? He actually turned around to his disciples. I can imagine they're like people of faith. They're Jesus' you know, boys. They're walking with him. And he says, can you believe? And he's like, in the whole Israel, I did not see such faith. That's incredible. And that's coming from a man that's a military guy, you know. But he understood authority. So that's why I was talking about the connection of our faith to the authority, awareness of God's authority. And um, I don't know, you know, so in the, that, that's what I'm saying. So at this point, it's like you're, you're starting to understand probably the meaning of that that a faith necessarily is not always the problem. It's the awareness of his authority. Have you ever been on the phone with uh, someone that you know is a mid-level employee? And, you know, you're trying to really get through customer service and you've been, you got, I don't know, it was unfairly how you got treated. You got some charge or you went to the hotel or whatever and you see later and you're just talking. They're like, I'm sorry, sir, you can't do this and stuff like that. How many of you know that? How, how many of you have been there? Okay. Anybody asked to speak to a manager? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, some of you don't do that. You know, maybe you're more holy than I am. I like to often speak with the manager. You know, when I was in college, um, and I often interpreted for churches, uh, 
different or, uh, church organizations, uh, conferences, and stuff like that. I would interpret usually uh, for Russian churches, uh, interpret it to English. Like if there was a preacher, I would interpret, uh, interpret um, some kind of um, both both ways to Russian, English, English to Russian. Anyways, and that was my side gig in college. Made helped me get like, a little extra cash whenever I could on the weekend. Um, it was pretty cool. And this one organization I really particularly loved is that because they always took good care of me. They would reserve a hotel like a month in advance. And I would be aware, you know, that I'm like, yeah, I have this scheduled and everything like that. And I've actually often went to this uh, hotel, uh, Hilton, and, uh, in Portland. And I would, one time I show up, and this uh, lady's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Fano, but I don't see any of your name on a reservation. We're oversold, we're overbooked. I'm like, um, I'm sorry, uh, excuse me, this reservation has been done a month ago, and I'm aware of that, you know. And I tell her, uh, ma'am, can you please look it up? And, you know, after a while of frustration, I'm like, you know what? I kindly ask, can I please speak with the manager? Can I speak with your supervisor? And, uh, and then um, finally, you know, I took, it took a little bit, I had to wait a little bit, but the this gal comes out, and she's like, oh, my goodness, Mr. Fonov, and she recognized me because she's seen me there a lot. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. Girl, move. She gets up in front of the computer. Sir, here's your reservation. I'm so sorry. In fact, for all your trouble, we're going to put you in executive suite. You know, and I'm thinking, how did I go from about to being on the street to executive suite? <laughs> because somebody had the buttons, had the authority to be able to press the right buttons and to be able to pull up my account awareness of the authority. All right. I hope you, at this point, you get so annoyed, you know, with the enemy when what he's doing in your life. And I'm thinking that you'd be able to, I need to speak to the supervisor. It's time for me to stop trying to resolve it myself. I need to, uh, my one source, Jesus, my, my one God who I can turn to in all my troubles. Amen. So this woman, says, for 12 years, I've been speaking with mid-level employees, mid-level doctors, and now I need an appointment with a supervisor. I need an appointment. I need, I need the source. And so she's like, if I just touch the hem of the garment, I will immediately be healed. She knew God's authority. He knew, she knew what Jesus was capable of. And um, now Jairus, now remember, you know, her healing was an interruption to Jesus' journey to Jairus' house. Because this is talking about Jairus, and all of a sudden this woman comes out of nowhere. Don't forget that Jairus got to Jesus first. Now, the challenge for Jairus, so think of it now, we're putting ourselves in the position of Jairus, right? Um, he has to get to Jesus, but then there's a crowd of people, and the challenge is to get Jesus out of that crowd to his house yeah. as soon as possible. His daughter is dying. So I can totally see him. Excuse me, excuse me. He's pushing people out the way, pushing people out the way. And the text suggests that he loses Jesus somehow. So verse 24, so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So now we see that you know, there's a lot of people. And we skip the verse, uh, to verse 30. Um, he turned around. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Can you imagine what's going through Jairus' mind right now? Um, so Jairus finds him in the crowd, gets to him, and here he is. He explained the situation. This is an emergency. And Jesus is walking, and all of a sudden he's like, wait, who touched me? And 
you know, it, and I'm thinking, and it makes Jairus wait. And I'm thinking Jairus stops, and he's like, I put myself in Jairus' position for a second. I'm like, wow, this, this is incredible. And he makes Jairus wait. Then the woman, knowing that, uh, then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling in fear. She told him the whole truth. <laughs> Another translation says, so this woman that just touched Jesus, right? We're here. She touched Jesus and says, she told him the whole truth. Another translation says, she told him the whole story. Yeah. You know, she told him the whole story. Ladies, I love you, but have you ever had a gal tell you her whole story? I put myself in Jairus' position and I'm thinking, what's going on? And he's just standing there. Get yourself a comfortable seat because, you know, if a lady is telling you her whole story, <laughs> I often tell right now, lately, I'm like, just tell me the end result and you can tell me the details later. What happened? Just, just tell me that you can tell me the details. Just do it. I really like that. I tend to, like, finally get the answer so I know if there's damage involved or anything. And then just, you can tell me all the details later. Uh, you tell a guy, like, hey, you know, tell me your story. He'll be like, mm, I'm good. Not all of us, but some of us, you know, majority of us, these guys, eh, I don't want to talk, you know. Um, but I can see steam coming out of Jairus' head. He's like, are you serious? How long is this conversation going to last? Girl, get your miracle and go. You know, she got her miracle, right? And, but he's like, we got to get to the house. I can totally imagine, you know, him. Turning to, you know, Peter says, hey, Peter, you're always running your mouth. Tell your boy Jesus to hurry up. This is an emergency. My daughter is dying. You know, isn't it frustrating, though, that God makes you wait on a miracle sometimes? And, you know, you told, you explained to the Lord that this is urgent, Lord. I need this now. Not only that, he has to watch her get her miracle. Oh, you got healed? Hallelujah. Imagine, you know, here he is, Jairus is like, yay, praise the Lord. Standing there watching her tell her whole story in the middle of this. So waiting to be healed. You know, we could be in this position waiting to be healed. You know, watching other people have baby and post their pictures on Instagram with their beautiful children. And then you're praying for a child for a long time, waiting to get married, watching other people walk down the aisle. Lord, she got married for real? Like I've said that sometimes before. I, I'm talking about myself, okay? I've been in that position. I'm like, man, I'm already in that age where I should be married, probably have a couple of kids by now. But just one thing and that thing didn't work out. And I'm thinking, man, I'll, the least people who expect to get married, they're getting married. But you watch this in front of your eyes. And what do you do when God makes you watch a miracle yeah. while you're waiting on the miracle? I notice that often God will make us uh, watch a miracle while you're watching, uh, while you're waiting on a miracle. And it's not because to discourage you. No, no, no. In fact, it's to encourage you, to build up your faith, to tell you that if God did it for them, he can do it for you. If the Lord blessed them with the house, you know, sometimes though, here's where people get (laughs) mixed up. They think if God did that for them, that means the Lord's going to do it the same way for me. You know, when we start comparing things, it's a dangerous zone. <laughs> Lord, if they got a house, I want the same house in the same neighborhood. I mean, near in that neighborhood, same square footage. I'm going to measure it, Jesus, so keep it fair. You know, we, we just 
I'm, I'm speaking from a human perspective. That's what happens, right? So we start comparing, but notice it's a different situation. He got a miracle this way, and she got a miracle this way. How is his miracle going to end up? What do you do when God makes you watch the miracle? But sometimes it's just not going to be in the same way. I'm just uh, running out of time here, but we're going to keep going. All right, so Jairus and this woman both wanted the same thing. We understand that they're on the same position now, same posture at the feet of Jesus. Both wanting to get healing, but Jairus didn't get a healing. He got a resurrection. That's deep, right? Which sounds awesome. Like, whoa, he got a resurrection instead of healing. But when you realize that the prerequisite for a resurrection is death. That's right. And I also thought of this deeper things. The death representing when us, when we ourselves, our ego dies. when When we finally surrender to God. God can create a resurrection in our life, can create that miracle in our lives. Amen? But I felt Jairus' pain at this moment. Becomes, it becomes clear that, uh, you know, what's happening. And when I read that scripture and I realized, um, here, here we go, as, uh, next verse. So um, the, these folks from Jairus' house come and it's like, so imagine this, while Jairus is waiting, right? And somebody tapped him on the shoulder and says, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? I felt this pain. I was really crushed. I'm like, imagine this. He's been waiting. He's been running. And now he gets the news that his girl has died. And he, that's crushing. But at the same time, it made me realize, Charis has horrible friends. Not, not because they stated the facts. That's obvious that she's dead. But the, the content what they added to it afterwards. Why bother the teacher? Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Sorry, I'm doing that voice. I just, I can see there's there's certain people that are annoying that are just like, why bother God? You know, why bother Jesus? He's, He's dead. And I'm thinking, man, horrible friends. They could just state them the facts. They don't need to tell, why bother the teacher anymore? He's like, why bother the teacher? It's my daughter. I'm just, I can imagine what's going through his mind. In other words, they're saying, Jairus, give up. Jairus, throw in the towel. Your daughter's dead. What good at this point will it do? But he had a different awareness of his, he had an awareness of God's authority. He's like, you don't understand that. What you guys see is just only, why bother the teacher anymore? That's how, how they understood him. He's probably some teacher. But no. He's a more than teacher, right? He is a healer. He's a way maker. He's the resurrection in life. Death itself could not hold Jesus down. And for the first time, Jesus actually turns to Jairus and speaks because up until this point, he wasn't, not, the scripture doesn't say that he speaks to him. But then, check this out. The scripture says, come on, Jairus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't give up. I can totally see at this point, Jesus grabbing the hand of Jairus when he's crushed. When he's absolutely distraught, he probably doesn't even want to go back. But that's what happened when Jesus grabbed him by the hand and began leading him. You see, that's how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be leading Jesus. He's supposed to be leading you. And he's like, Jairus, just have faith. Jairus, just believe. Just believe. Let's go. We're going to see a miracle. Verse 38. When they came 
to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and told them, he went in and said to them, while the commotion and wailing, the child is not dead, but asleep. Verse 40, but they laughed at him. He says, oh, you think that's funny? Oh, you think that's funny? You see, um, unbelief will always laugh at the language of faith. And so, you know, all you that laughed, he's like, I got one word for you. Get out. Get out. So, verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Sorry, guys. I'm thinking in my head, I can't help imagine by putting myself in the story. Because I have a daughter, you know. Like, I can imagine if something happens to her. And here he is. This miracle is happening. So, but I believe deeply in my heart, some of us need to serve an eviction notice to certain things in our lives. To certain people in our lives that are bringing you down. That are taking your faith away. That when God promised you something and they said, why bother? Don't worry. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But this is the moment to tell things to get out. To tell the fear to get out. To tell worry to get out. To tell anxiety to get out. To tell depression to get out. Amen? Because some things will not get up. They will not get up until certain things get out. For God has not, 2 Timothy 1.7, and I want to end up with just scriptures of faith for you to just strengthen your faith. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He has not given us the spirit, but of power. Jesus also said in uh, John 14.12, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things. Jesus himself is saying, hey, the things that I've done, you will do greater things. And and that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead says, lives in you. And that's in Romans 8, 11, if you want to know. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Enemy can laugh all he wants. But that's why you have the authority and the power to tell the enemy to get out. The things that rob you of your faith. Amen? Amen.